Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. I'm going to take you back, Scott, to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is somebody who buys up mortgage notes was not it at that time. But you tell me, maybe I'm wrong. Well, so I grew up in a small town in South Texas called Ingleside, about 3,000 okay. people. It's famous for its Mustang grapes and the founder of the Wishbone Offense actually developed the Wishbone Offense there. Okay. Uh, Coach Emory, Emory Riddell, before he went on to Texas and make, and the Wishbone Offense got famous at University of Texas with Daryl K. Royal. But growing up then, my dad was my hero. So I thought I'd be working in a hardware store because my parents opened the local hardware store for years. So I was kind of like that kid that did everything on the weekends, you know, around making extra money where it was mowing lawns or putting stuff together or working with an electrician or digging ditches. I loved working there. I was a big baseball fan. Nolan Ryan, you know, was my hero. If you get a chance to watch the new documentary on Netflix on, on Nolan, do it. But yeah, you know, I thought I'd fall back and be the next Dan Patrick on sports there. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> there we go. What's Love funny, it. you know, I went to college to in mass, you know, to be in journalism and mass comm and stuff like that. And switched about halfway through into business. And I kind of chuckle that being a podcaster, I often feel like I'm a bit, I'm scratching my proverbial sports center itch by being a guest and then also hosting a regular show as well too. So that's kind of what I thought when I'd be when I there grow up. There you go, there you go. <laughs> you know, it's funny, listen, I grew up as a Met fan and I'll show my age because I remember when Nolan Ryan was, a, yeah. and at that time, of course, he, he, he could, you know, he still was smoking the ball, but he, but he didn't have the control that he got later yeah. in his career. And, you know, it was always, it was an adventure as to when, you know, like batters were like, all right, is he going to strike me out or is he going to like hit me in the head? Not intentionally either, just, you know, because he was wild. Yep. And of course, as is typical of my wonderful Mets, uh, they usually trade the people who turn out to be great and then trade for the people who are then past their prime. So, you know, the Mets are famous for that. So uh, this was a early example of them giving away a guy who obviously came in, became one of the greats. Thinking back of when I was 12, I actually wanted to be a trader. But, but of course, when you're 12 year old, you don't really know what a trader does. But the image of a trader I had when I was 12 is, okay, I thought there were people who would look at the newspaper, understand what's happening, you know, from a geographical perspective and geopolitical perspective in South America figure out that if there is a conflict in that country that impacts the production of, uh, of oil and gas in another country. And then, you know, one thing leading to another, the price of, I don't know, a pen is going to skyrocket. So let's, let's just buy a pen stock. That's really how I figured it out. Cause I was, uh, I was reading a lot of Scrooge and Mickey, uh, Mickey Mouse the type of things. And that's kind of how I worked it out in my, in my head. Then I gotta I tell you up. something, that, that's pretty sophisticated analysis for a 12 year old. <laughs> 
Yeah, but, but maybe I was 15, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm cheating a bit of the, the question, but that was really, you know, what I thought would be interesting, being able to understand the world and how do you use that knowledge and that analysis to make good business investment decision. And then, okay. then I made it to business school and I realized that no traders are just quants and people who are really good at mathematics building their models. So I, I moved to private equity instead. My mom has been a teacher her whole, her whole life. So I think it was, I, I think we, I, I think the very first thing I thought about was like some sort of engineering. I think it was like aerospace engineering. That's sort of what sort of caught my eye when I was like 14, 15, 16, before I decided to join the military. So like some sort of engineer. Yeah. Any, any, any parallels between those thoughts and what you, what you do now? Is there any sort of engineering element? I mean, you do develop, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, not really too much. I think what I really caught from that just was the value of education, especially after the military. I had never thought, once I decided to join the Marine Corps, I had never thought I would even get my bachelor's degree, let alone a doctorate. Right. So I think just the value of education is probably what I pulled from that, both formal education and just reading books and stuff like that. I was definitely an NBA basketball player, man. I, I absolutely loved Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. So growing up, really identified as an athlete. And so I poured my heart and soul into trying to be a good a good athlete and, and to grow in that capacity. And one thing that really happened early on in my, in my life, my mom worked two jobs to help support the family. And so I valued the, or I, I learned the value of a dollar really early on and, and saving, right? And I started working when I was 14 years old and I was a big guy. I'm from mid-Missouri, so Jefferson City, Missouri. And so, well, what do you do to make money? You go out in the hay field and you pick up hay out of a field and you put it on a trailer. And so that's what I started on, man. That was my first job really was throwing hay. And what that taught me was the value of, of a dollar, how hard it is to earn it, but also yep. that you have to work for it. And so I've just had this kind of gritty work ethic about everything that I've I've really tried to approach in my life. And that's that's definitely paid some dividends for me. So it's interesting. It was basketball, not football. And you ended up going the football route. So, but it was basketball when you were young, huh? Yeah, loved basketball, still do. And I think that what happened was I grew pretty fast and my body, I had some trouble with my knees. And so running on a hard basketball floor and jumping, it just didn't really work out too well with my knees. And so I didn't even play high school football until my sophomore year. And so I was I was all in on the basketball thing and then realized, well, maybe I can do a little better on the football field. And I did and, and was able to play division two football at the University of Central Missouri and had a great career and um, got picked up as an undrafted free agent with the Oakland Raiders. And I made some cuts, but I, I didn't ultimately make the team and a lot of lessons learned throughout that process as well. I love it. Listen, I, I grew up playing basketball as well, although I'm a five foot eight kid uh, from Brooklyn. So I wasn't I wasn't going anywhere uh, to get an MBA, certainly not even college, whatever. But but I, I was one of these kids that back in the day, high school especially was so crowded. They had like three shifts. So I'd go from high school for like 7 a.m. to 11, 1130, and then I'd be done. And I'd just go to schoolyard and play ball Absolutely. the rest of the day. And then I have league games at night. And then also a league traveling team, uh, they called it where we went to play other other rec centers and Jewish centers and all the stuff in Brooklyn. So yeah, I was obsessed with the game, but ne never had any aspirations. Uh, I, I always figured I'm too short and I don't have, uh, I didn't have the, uh, you know, I wasn't Spud Webb or anything where I, where yeah. I had jumping ability. You know? Well, actually, if we're going back to when I was about 10, I wanted to be a vet. 
Turns out I'm horrifically scared of blood. So that didn't work. When I was 18, however, I read the book Getting to Yes, the oh, step yes. work on negotiation. I always think it sounds like a self-help book, but it actually is written by two Harvard boys that, you know, and it is the, yeah, like I said, the standard work used in diplomacy, used in business, used all over the world, right? And I read that and then I decided, no, 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 I am not going to be a vet. I am going to dedicate my life to basically world peace. My idea was wow. if I teach or if I help people to negotiate and to settle their differences, right? By discussion, by negotiation, then we will have world peace. That didn't quite work out. So when I joined my law firm, because I went to law school, right, to with that purpose, and then joined my law firm, which was the most academic, geeky firm in my native Netherlands, it wasn't quite what I was doing. <laughs> world <laughs> peace, advancing world peace. So I ended up writing a lot of very beautiful contracts. I mean, not that anybody ever read them, obviously, but I, I wrote a lot of uh, yeah contracts and other memos and those kind of things. Did negotiate and negotiated the largest settlement in the history of my country at that point at quite a young age, got even more obsessed with the subject and so decided to dedicate my life to it. And then when I combined it with the HR work that I ended up doing afterwards, so we moved from the Netherlands to Asia about five years into my in my law work, legal work, I, I decided to join a very large billion dollar company there worldwide to set up HR for Asia. So I did that for a while. And then in the context of that, realized that women specifically across the globe, not great at negotiating. So I used to run these training sessions and I would always have a little group of women sort of around me at the end of each of those sessions, all saying the same thing, which is, this is so important and I suck at it. Help, <laughs> basically. And so after a while, I decided to combine those two right into the work that I now do, where I help women to negotiate their careers and their salaries. So that's kind of how we ended up here. So from 18 and, and deciding to dedicate my life to negotiation, to now actually being here, I've kind of gone full circle and here we are. I wanted to work white collar crime for the FBI, Corey. Wow, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So I knew I loved business and I knew I loved numbers and I knew I loved, you know, people, people getting a fair shake and, and, and being able to do the right thing for people. But I just didn't know what that looked like. And my dad was a cop. Ah, um, okay. There's a connection. Uh, okay. He was the deputy chief of police in Springfield, Missouri, where I grew up. And so I wanted to go bigger and better. And I just decided I'm going to do white collar crime for the FBI. <laughs> Turns out that's real it. conducive to a family. So that that went by the wayside in college. But that was what I wanted to do with my life. I love that. So that's that's one of the more interesting answers for uh, you know, for for you know, that I've had on the about 200 episodes on the podcast. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Deal Quest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the Deal Quest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. 
I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.